Hello and welcome to the Waking Up to Grace podcast, where we celebrate and explore the finished work of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The Waking Up to Grace podcast can be found on every major platform. And now, here's Lenny. Welcome to Waking Up to Grace. Good morning, everybody. Today, the topic on hand is going to be about baptism. We're going to talk about baptism of the Spirit, baptism with water, and get to the bottom of this whole controversial issue about do we need to get baptized? Do we need to get baptized for salvation? Do we need to get baptized in general? Should we get baptized? What's the significance of baptism? There's a lot of questions like that. I think probably the most common one is, do I need to get baptized for salvation? There's definitely plenty of doctrines out there that we can look at amongst different Christian organizations that will tell you that is essential to get water baptized for salvation. And so let's take a look at that. Let's first start by taking a look at what baptism is and what it means and kind of the meaning behind it. Baptism in ancient times was actually a dyeing process for clothing. They would immerse the clothing into the dye, and the clothing would soak up that dye, and it would be immersed into it, basically an immersion that takes place. You can make that comparison, essentially, with a water baptism by immersing somebody in water. And there's where some of the arguments come in with water baptism. Is it full immersion? Is it partial immersion? And then you have all these arguments going on about that. The fact that we have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit as Christians, it would be an immersion and a saturation going on within. We'd be consuming the Spirit. The Spirit would be immersing itself within us in the core of our being. So that would be what a spiritual baptism would look like. And I think that's pretty basic and simple, and we can all get an idea of what baptism means by that. Since we're on the topic of controversy, let's take a look back at the first century Christians. Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.12. There was obviously controversy going on even then about it. And it sounds very similar today in a lot of ways. And here's what was going on and what Paul was saying. He says, now I mean this that each of you is saying, I am with Paul, or I am with Apollos, or I am with Cephas, or I am with Christ. Is Christ divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Or were you in fact baptized in the name of Paul? Thank you, God, that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And then then he says, to be precise, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Otherwise, I do not remember whether I baptized anyone else. goes on and says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with clever speech, so that the cross of Christ would not become useless. We look at this passage, and a lot of questions come to mind. When we examine this passage, the first question that comes to mind for me is, had they lost focus on Christ and began proclaiming an apostle? They completely take this baptism thing and make it a distraction. And then they're all worried about what human being they're following here. Paul's describing the situation where one's saying, I've been baptized by Paul, and another, I'm with Cephas, Cephas, who is also Peter. You have people boasting on one leader or another. Maybe somebody was thinking, Peter's okay, but... But Paul was the right-hand man arguing amongst each other about who they follow. And what is Paul trying to point out to them? Who are we really following here, guys? Another question that comes to mind is, if baptism was salvation, why was Paul glad he did not do much of it when he says it in verse 114? 
he says, or, or were you in fact baptized in the name of Paul? Thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Why would he be glad that he didn't baptize people? Because of all the confusion it was causing. Talking about water baptism here. Clearly wasn't talking about a spiritual baptism in this moment. He was going around proclaiming the gospel, so all kinds of people would have been baptized in the Spirit. So why was Paul not sent to baptize in water? In verse 117, he says, but to preach the gospel. He was sent to preach the gospel, not to baptize. So that's kind of interesting. If water baptism was essential for salvation, wouldn't that have definitely been high on the Apostle Paul's list? What was Paul sent to do? He was sent to preach the gospel. What brings people to salvation? What was bringing people to salvation? It wasn't water baptism. It was something different. What was it? It was baptism of the Spirit. So what we really see here in 1 Corinthians 1.12, Paul is making it pretty clear what's most important. It's this baptism of the Holy Spirit that's the most important. He's not saying don't get water baptized, but he's proclaiming that you guys are getting all hung up on this stuff, making all kinds of complications out of it. This isn't complicated. Clearly, water baptism was getting people hung up. And I think what we have today is a similar thing. When I think about all the stumbling that people do when somebody's talking about infant baptism, the child or infant was having a tantrum and somebody had blurted out, did the baptism take? Well, you have one person saying, well, you better get your baby baptized to save it, let's say, from purgatory or to dedicate it to the Lord. From that, you get people asking the question, is water baptism salvation? Is this going to save my child? Is this going to save my infant? Is this going to save me as an adult? If we're looking at water baptism in Scripture, I never encountered an infant baptism in Scripture. For one, we're baptizing infants and doing these dedications or whatever it may be for whatever reason. It's not coming from Scripture. I'm not really sure why anybody would do something like that. I guess in my mind, if it's not being taught by the apostles, if Jesus wasn't teaching to do it. Hmm. I'm not sure what to take from that. It's certainly causing people to stumble. Instead of doing that, why why wouldn't we just gather together as a family and and pray for that child, pray for that infant? I heard this week an amazing prayer from my sister. I thought it was phenomenal, and it's stuck in my mind. She said, I've been praying that my children, God will open his kingdom to them and welcome them in. How loving and compassionate is that? and how honoring of God's amazing sovereignty. That's just so much better than I'm going to take my baby to this place and dunk him in water, and then I'm going to go on living just like nothing happened because he's good now, and that's not scriptural. These procedures and these religious things that we do, they're just causing people to stumble. They're not helping anybody. So now what are these people doing? They're not going to go home and pray. They're not going to have any concern whatsoever for this child. Now that he's baptized, he's good, or she's baptized, she's good. I mean, it's not really helping anybody become spiritual. That's the way I'm seeing it, and if it's not in Scripture, why teach it? Why do it? Maybe we should be rethinking some of these celebrations and doing them in a more spiritual manner, maybe. As Christians, we see things and we hear things and, you know, you can get kind of frustrated about what's going on, but it's all good. God's got this. We don't have to sit and bite our nails thinking that we got to change the world out there, right? We're just following the Spirit and if God wants us to change something, 
he'll get it done. But about water baptism, let's just take a look at what Scripture says about water baptism. There's plenty of verses that describe it quite well. You first see John the Baptist. He would have been the one doing it, right? So let's read John chapter 1, verse 23. John said, I'm the voice of one shouting in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked John, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize, who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. These things happened in Bethany across the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one about whom I said, after me comes a man who is greater than I am, because he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he could be revealed to Israel. John the Baptist proclaims why he was baptizing with water. This is why he was baptizing with water to reveal Jesus to the world. It was revealed to him that Christ had come because he came to get baptized to fulfill this prophecy. John then testified, I saw the spirit descending like a dove from heaven and it remained on him. And I did not recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the spirit descending and remaining, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have both seen and testified that this man is the chosen one of God. So Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. We'll take a look at Matthew as well. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came into the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, for he is the one about whom the prophet Isaiah had spoken. The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing made from camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, as well as all Judea and all the region around the Jordan, were going out to him. And he was baptizing them in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, He said to them, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit that proves your repentance. And don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There's maybe a gorilla in the room there. He's talking about Israel. Israel getting cut off. This is about the wrath of God coming down on Israel for their unbelief. Then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the storehouse. But the chaff he will burn up with indistinguishable fire. So there again, talking about prophecy there, about what was to come. From a fulfilled prophecy standpoint, 70 AD would have been that fire when the temple was destroyed. And there's even an example in scripture that a lot of people use for legalism where there was some believers that were obviously in John the Baptist's camp and been baptized. And they said, we've been baptized by John the Baptist. 
they hadn't been preached Christ yet. And these people were already prepped and ready for the gospel. So they filled them in on the gospel. And then the Spirit came on them. That's why the Spirit hadn't come upon them yet and, and dwelt into them, because they didn't hear the good news yet. They were still waiting for it. It has nothing to do with anything legalistic. I've heard it preached. Those people didn't get the gift of tongues or they didn't get the gift of this or that. We have to ask for that and we have to ask for the Spirit to come into us to do these things. Even if we're believers, we may not have been filled with the Spirit yet. Being filled with the Spirit would be learning who Christ is, learning who you are in Christ. That fills you up. It's already in you. You're not going to believe and have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and suddenly be needing the Spirit to fill you. It's not a, it's filling you or it's not filling you. It's a matter of how full you are of this grace and in what measure. And we should all be craving to feed spiritually, right? And feed on truth. Truth is good and healthy for the Christian. Where are we going to get our truth? You could say the Bible, and absolutely, the Bible's the foundation. But you see out there, there's so much information out there on Christianity these days, and so much of it's bad. And then there's some of it good. Somebody could be just fully blessed and just hear the good news and go on their merry way and growing in grace. Others are going to have to do it the hard way. They learn, they come to Christ, and then they get fallen into legalism, and then they wake up. And, you know, there's just all kinds of scenarios out there. And some people learn from experiences. Some people, it's like they could have been under false doctrine and something happens in their life. And suddenly they come to the realization that God is in control. It's not me. I can let it go. I don't have to keep hanging on to this nonsense that it's all up to me. Evidently, 80% of the church or more was illiterate, so we can't just say Scripture alone. For me, it's been Scripture. It's been testing things to make sure that they're true. I'm not going to just believe something because it feels good. God taught me that. Thank God early on to not just go with the feeling. Let's continue on. Now let's look at Acts and what there is about baptism in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul went through the inland regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples there and said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. They replied, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. You can see why somebody would go into speaking in tongues there. But speaking in tongues in those days was actually speaking in native languages that people could understand. There's no babble going on that people don't understand what was going on there as they've been baptized, understanding that the Christ was to come. They didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was. How could you possibly have the Holy Spirit? If you don't even know what it is, isn't that the gospel? He died for our sins, he cleansed us, and then he rose again to give us his spirit. If they didn't know that, they didn't know the gospel. So it was really just that simple. They needed to understand the gospel, and immediately the spirit came upon them. So you see that John the Baptist water baptism didn't save them. They weren't saved until they actually heard the gospel. So it was the spiritual baptism that saves, right? So let's take a closer look at spiritual baptism, the saving baptism, the baptism that gives life to the dead. 
Let's look at that. First Peter chapter three, verse 20. After they were disobedient long ago, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah as an ark was being constructed, and the ark of few, that is eight souls, were delivered through water. And this prefigured baptism, which now saves you, not the washing off of physical dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who went into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. What he's saying here is that this baptism is not about water. He's saying in the Old Testament, eight souls were delivered through water. So they were saved through water. They were saved on Noah's Ark physically through the water, right? This baptism that saves you isn't just the washing off of physical dirt. What would you think to wash off dirt with? It would be water. He's saying it's not of water. It seems clear to me that Peter is saying that it's not about the water. He's saying it's the pledge of a good conscience to God. It's what you would be doing, right, if you were celebrating baptism. Looking at it as a celebration. You come to belief. You have some people around you that are like-minded and and you want to celebrate. Pledge yourself to God, but it's not the water that makes you clean. It's your belief. If you had no water nearby and you came to belief, you're still saved. It's a celebration. It's not pertinent to our salvation. And if we start making it legalistic as a rule and an obligation, it starts becoming a problem. I hear plenty of people preaching on this and saying that it's not essential for salvation. But if you don't do it, you're not following God's commands. It starts to, in my thinking, just be a slippery slope there when you start saying that, oh, you don't have to do it. But if you don't, you're kind of not really a Christian. Come on, just slow down a little there. It's about the spirit. And if somebody feels it on their heart to celebrate, that's awesome. Celebrate with water. At one point, Peter had said about baptism, who's to stop us? It was in the book of Acts. He said, who's to stop us from baptizing these people? Because it was a celebration. They came to belief. They received the Holy Spirit. And then he said, who's to stop us from baptizing them in water? They had a blast. And I can imagine the fellowship that goes with that and the community around it. I think it's fantastic. Don't start making it a rule to people. Don't start making people feel obligated. You ruin the whole thing. A little yeast works through that whole batch of dough. Then Romans, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So this is a different type of baptism. This is absolutely a spiritual baptism because we were baptized into his death, buried with him in baptism into death, our old self done away with. We're a new creation now. It's a spiritual baptism he's describing. It's a spiritual cleansing. Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so that we too may live a new life. The old self is done away with. The old is gone and the new is here. That's the real celebration. If we want a Duncan water to celebrate, cool, that's fine because that's an amazing thing. Ephesians 4.4 4 says there is one body and one spirit, just as you too were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's one spirit, one hope, one baptism, one Lord. So what is that one baptism? 
It's the spiritual baptism. It's the baptism of the spirit. He doesn't say two. You would have to say two if there was a water and a spirit. He says there's one baptism. Okay, so that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the one that the people from John came to receive later from Paul. That's the one. In Corinthians 12, 13, he says, For in the Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one Spirit. So we are all baptized into one body. And now he's talking about the church. The body of Christ, we've become baptized into it. We are all one. This baptism word is amazing. Like a clothing put into dye, we've been soaked into the body of Christ through spiritual baptism. Water would symbolize that. So for all you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So we are baptized in Christ Jesus. We are baptized into Christ Jesus. I got to say, there's an analogy that I heard, and it's just, it's just cool. So let's just end with a good analogy. You put a bottle underwater. You take the cap off, right? You dunk the bottle into the water. It fills up. So the water's in the bottle, and the bottle is in the water. And you put a cap on that bottle. And now it's sealed. Basically, the bottle is you getting filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is all around you. The water's around you, and it's in you. And then when you put the cap on, it's sealed. And so you have this sealed system. And what can get in now? Nothing bad can get in. You've been sealed for the day of redemption, and you are set. So this baptism is one for all. And if you've received it, and if you believe it, if you believe the finished work of Christ, do you believe that he died for all of your sins? Do you believe that your old self and all of your sin, past, present, and future, was crucified with him at the cross, and that you rose with him, and he took you with him to new life, his life, that's been from the beginning and never ends? You've just inherited a life that is eternal from beginning to end. And you will never die. Your body will fall asleep and you'll never die. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Or are you still doubting? Are you still not sure that Christ did it all? Are you still thinking that you have to continue and complete something? Because scripture doesn't tell us that we have anything to add to that. It talks about the renewing of the mind. It talks about spiritual growth here on earth. But we start out perfect. And so we've got a huge head start. And the whole point of the apostles letting us know that is so that we can rest in him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And when you're part of the family, he calls you brother. He's not going to let you go. And that's the beauty of the sovereignty of God is that you can trust his promise when he says it because it's not contingent upon anything that we in humanity have to do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to trust it. I hope you guys enjoyed this message. Take care, guys. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by Waking Up to Grace Ministries. You can visit our blog page, add comments, or reach us privately from our contact form at wakinguptograce.com.